0: Welcome to Gardening Talk, back on to and you are at FM. Greg Richard here, joined by Scott Sharp in the studio. Scott, great to have you back. Great to be back. I've, I've been told that I was wrong.
1: Oh, yeah, last week you were wrong, apparently. Wrong. Dead set wrong. Rarely I, happens. I'm a, I'm a dud, but I'll live up to it. All right, well, you can make up for it today. Well, I'll try and make up for it. We'll talk about uh, oxalis in a little bit more detail and how to get rid of that. I think we also might talk about pruning crape myrtles. The time to do that at the moment. You have to prune them down to the knuckles. And the calendula flower. Is it crepe or crepe? Well, I say crepe. I say crepe and they're the yummy things you can eat as well. Well, that's crepes, I think. I think it's pronounced crepe. Yeah, you're being very French on me right about now. <laughs> Parlez-vous français? Well, just in case there are any
0: French listeners, they go, oh, well, they're saying it <laughs> wrong again.
1: They'll say, oh, oui, oui. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And we've got Kevin from Gwendolyn, and he's got a question about lily pilly and the calypso bugs.
1: Hello, Kevin. How can we help you?
2: How you going, Scott? I listened to your mother last week and I've got a growing a lily-pilly hedge and she told me about these uh, calypso grubs. So I went out and had a look. I've got something eating the leaves, but it's only real little black things underneath the leaves.
1: Yeah, you might have some scale insect on there as well. Does Does it look like the leaves have just been sort of chomped and they're all serrated around the outside? yes yeah look i think you probably have got the calypso beetle you're also when you turn the leaves over you're probably seeing some scale insect there on there as well so right. that's also something that you're going to need to get rid of uh, and you can use uh, a mixture of malathion and white oil, or you can use white oil by itself as well to get rid of scale. So that's probably a good thing for you to do. Uh, it, actually, now now I'm thinking about it, to get rid of the calypso beetle using the malathon and white oil together, you might kill two birds with one stone, so to speak.
2: Well, I've got. I went and after listening to your mother last week, mm-hmm. I went and bought some, carab barrel or whatever you call it. Ah, oh,
1: some some carbaryl. yeah, that that'll yeah, work yeah. as well, yeah.
2: So I can just use that, can I?
1: Yeah, look, I, I don't know that that's going to get rid of the scale insect underneath. Uh, you're probably right. best to get some white oil uh, to try and get rid of that. Uh, it actually okay, just yeah. chokes up the scale and and kills it in underneath its little shell. Okay. yeah
2: right, you are. Yeah, okay. I thought it might have been this calypso bug in egg form. That was all, and I thought I didn't know what it was, but I'm not a gardener. But anyway, okay, mate. That's okay, that's all I right. Mean. Look, the oh, ca- listen, one one quick question yes. with this. Stuff. Can I put a? Someone's told me if you put a teaspoon of dishwashing detergent in, it helps adhere uh, p- uh, pesticides and all to the uh, shrubs. Is that correct or not?
1: Yeah, look, it, do, it does make it sticky. Uh, I, I would say though, for, for when you're spraying uh, to try and actually get rid of a, a you know a bug of some sort that's moving around, you need some contact with it, especially with carbaryl or malathion. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so whether yeah. it's sticky or not, it's really not going to. Uh, You know, be the bee's knees sort of thing. You need to get out there when those bugs are actually active. And I believe with the uh, calypso beetle uh, that it's actually more active at night. So it goes and scurries away like most things do to get out of the heat of the day. And then it comes and feeds at night. So probably going out and spraying on dusk, you might get a much better result.
2: Much appreciated, Scott. Thank you kindly.
1: Okay. Thank you very much for that, Kevin. All the best. Okay, cheers. Bye.
0: And we've got Kelly now from Jasmine, And she's got a question about cuttings. Hi Kelly. Oh. How, how can we help?
3: Oh, hi. Um, look, I, we have a little hobby farm up at Taree that got burnt in November. so mm-hmm. uh, I'm now trying to repopulate it as cheaply as possible. So um, looking everywhere to see things that I want to take cuttings off. Now, I'm just wondering if there is a general uh, rule of thumb for taking cuttings. Do you take them with, when the new growth comes on or just after flowering or... And is there a different rule for natives
1: and non-natives? Look, there's, there's no. Uh, it's not that you do them. You know, when new growth comes on or after flowering, the general rule of thumb with cuttings is you take it from towards the top of the plant where it's green, but it's just starting to sort of harden up and, and you know turn brown and get the bark uh, uh, tissue on it. And you take the cuttings there, you then uh, dip the uh, cutting into a rooting hormone powder or honey, people say works very well, and then put that into the propagation mix and water as normal.
3: And can you do that at any time? So say, for example, at the moment, there are lots of different types of flowering wattle. Yes. Um, is it better to wait until they 've stopped flowering, or um, does it not matter?
1: no look that doesn't really matter. you just obviously prune all that uh, you know that flowering material off there, just leaving a couple of leaves on the branch that you've, you know the little cutting that you've picked. Yep. Uh, so you 've picked so you're trying to reduce any stress on the plant. Uh, the only thing I would say is uh, you know make sure that it's the warmer months because that's when the plant is going to start to grow. Now that said, I was happily sunning myself on the back veranda yesterday. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, I was completely clothed. I was reading the newspaper. Oh, <laughs> and, you know, no sigh of relief over it's there. A, it's a PG show, Scott. <laughs> I know, well, let's keep it that way. And I looked up into the trees up above me and my uh, deciduous uh, golden robinias. I can just see start to see the all the new little leaves, the new little shoots coming on. So we are getting towards that time where we're going to see a lot of new growth on plants. So taking your cuttings now is uh, probably not a bad time to do it.
4: Great. Well,
3: just watch out for me. I'll be around with my secretary.
1: Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll make sure I've got the uh, the newspaper uh, conveniently placed. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Thank you.
1: Thanks, Kelly.
0: So we've got Bev from Raymond Terrace, and she's got a question about the African violet.
1: Afternoon, Bev. How can we help you?
4: I was given one about six months ago, and it... The outside leaves keep dying off. What's,
1: what am I doing wrong? Okay. Where have you got that poor little African violet, Bev? Have you got it inside, outside?
4: I've got it inside.
1: Yeah. Tell me about the light conditions it's getting. Oh,
4: uh, average.
1: Okay. <laughs> okay. That, that's good enough. Now, the other thing about African violets is the way you water them. Uh, tell me about that. What, what's going on with that?
4: Well, I water it from the top, but I don't don't let the
1: leaves get wet. Yes, because they, they don't like that. The other thing with African violets is they actually like to, to draw up water from the saucer in the bottom, so uh, I'm wondering if it, if it might actually just be a little bit wet. Uh, I remember the uh, back in the day, you'd get African violet pots, and they'd have a big saucer of water down the bottom, and the pot, but then they'd have this wick that uh, went down through it, and the wick just drew the water up into the soil and disseminated it that way. Uh, So I'm thinking, I'm wondering if you might have it a little bit too wet, and that's why those outside leaves are going like that, because...
4: You know, the inside of it looks, it sends up new green leaves, but as soon as they get a bit of length on them... Yeah. uh, I've got the small pot sitting inside a bit bigger pot, Mm -hmm. and I was wondering if the leaves would be, as soon as it hits the bigger pot, which is cement... Would that have any
1: bearing on them? Oh, look, shouldn't shouldn't do. Uh, the I other didn't thing. I not think so. But have um, you got it in a proper African violet mix as well?
4: Yeah, uh, it came to me.
1: Way it was. Okay, okay. Uh, look, uh, I,
4: can you buy an African violet mix?
1: You, you certainly can. It's uh, it's a sort of a strange, almost peaty sort of mix. So it might be best to go and get an African violet mix. You don't have to buy a big bag of it. It only comes in you know sort of tiny little yes. bags. So it's not like you're out uh, you but know I, wasting a whole lot of money just for one plant. Have you
4: got it? Or well, Where do you buy it? That's uh, the next problem. Yes, look, back, any- I can tell you that.
1: Yes, any independent garden centre will have uh, a good African violet mix. Um, the other great thing about African violets is it's probably, you know, it's only small as well. So why not pick it up and take it in uh, when you go and get that mix and just show it to the people there? They sh- will certainly be able to give you some additional help with it as well.
4: Okay, I just, because it's a bit special, I didn't want, don't
1: want to lose it. That was all. Yeah, look, I'd pick the little plant up and take it on a holiday.
4: <laughs> okay, I never, I never thought of that
1: Yeah, but look, they, they, they are a bit, you know, they can be a bit funny, a little bit touchy But once you get them into the right spot and using the right mix and the way they're drawing up water You, you really won't kill them, they're very tough that way But it's just always finding that thing with the African violet So I remember my, uh, my mum, uh, God bless her um, she probably doesn't remember this, uh, but she would actually use tea when she watered her African violets. So uh, I'm not sure if that's still a thing to do or not. Uh, but uh, look, I, I wouldn't suggest that, that at this point in time. Uh, but certainly take your plant into the Independent Garden Centre. Let them have a look at it. Oh gave it a bit of sea salt. Yeah, look, that, that's fine. Only good for the okay. root system of the plant. Uh, probably just steer clear on your fertilising now until we actually work out what's wrong with it.
4: Okay, Dale, thank you very much. Okay,
1: good. thank you for the call, Bev. Have a nice afternoon.
4: Right, bye bye.
0: We've got Jan now from Toronto, and she's got leaves going brown on a pot of
1: Draconia. Hi, Jan, what's going on?
5: Hello, Scott. Um, I've got a Draconia uh, D E R E M E N S I S, the one with the green leaves with the stripes on it.
1: Oh, yeah, yes, yes.
5: And the leaves keep going brown from the tip right yeah. down to where they join.
1: Okay. So, w- where have you got that plant? Uh,
5: in the lounge room.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Very, very good. <laughs> Do you have the TV on so that it can watch yes. it as well? <laughs> no. No. I, well, no, look, that was the problem, Jan. That's the answer there. <laughs> no, look, I, I think we might talk about uh, plant stuff rather than uh, about what it might be watching on, uh, you know, Netflix or something like that. Uh, it might. How much light is it getting there in the lounge room? Uh, a fair bit. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that's good. Now, have you got it sitting in a saucer with you know that's staying moist all the time?
5: Not really. But that's the thing I was going to ask you. Yeah. I let it dry out, thinking I'm yes. too much water, and the same thing happens. So then I give it a little drink and a little fertilise, and they they go still go black. So I'm not sure what I'm doing, and it, it's got to the stage now where quite a bit of the stem. Is visible rather than nice leaves coming
1: on it. Okay, look, and that's curable by giving it a cut back as well, and then you'll get some you know new sort of branches or leaves coming out. Um, from there Uh, my rule of thumb when uh, you know leaves are going brown on the tip is that it's not getting enough moisture out to the tips of the leaves or you know it could be getting burnt by the sun or by the wind Um, but I I would think you're probably letting it dry out a little bit too much it might be best now Jan to start some consistent watering uh, you know once or twice a week smaller amounts Uh, so not so it's just waterlogged all the time but it's you know not not going through these big troughs and, you know, peaks where it's drying out and then getting wet all of a sudden, then drying out, um, wet all of a sudden. So I would think just start to be a little bit more regular with the watering of the plant. Yeah,
5: well, like usually am. Yeah, I water them on Fridays and Tuesdays.
1: Okay, well, look, that that sounds fine. Now, steer uh, little- clear of fertilising at the moment if the plant's a little bit stressed. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, always a good thing to do there. Um, if your plants are stressed, uh, always cut back on your fertiliser uh, look, the other thing, maybe even move it to a different, more sunny position at the moment, just to see what happens. Not necessarily outside, but uh, somewhere where it's getting a little bit more northern light coming through a window.
5: Okay, I'll try that. And I can cut it off. The, the nice green tops, I can cut off and just replant.
1: Yes, you can certainly do that, and you'll get new shoots coming out from uh, you know where you've uh, cut it as well.
5: Yep. Okay. Okay. Thank you for being. Um, um, Great, full of information. As you <laughs> That's
1: right, Jan. Look, keep in touch. Uh, let us know how you go with it. Will
5: do. Okay. Thanks.
1: thanks very much. Bye-bye. And we've got Steve
0: from Barnsley, and he's got a bit of a follow-up about Oxalis. Hey, Steve, how can we help
1: you?
6: Mate, uh, I spoke to mum last week.
1: <laughs> You're poor, you poor, bloke. But anyway, look, I've had to do that for <laughs> nigh on 50 years now. I'd, you'd, I'd give up after one week if I were you.
6: And she was going to look up... <clears throat> What to spray oxalis that's in my grass?
1: Yes, okay. She did mention this to me. She did remember to do that. Uh, Good girl. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, she writes a lot of stuff down now, and it's all the best for her, I think. Um, <laughs> she had a look up, and she found an old book by Alan Searle who said that you can, oh, yeah. yeah, you can use uh, sulphate of ammonia, but you have to be very careful about using that because it burns anything yeah. that it touches. Um, I I gave you, or I gave the advice that you can use bindi for it, and it is registered to to kill oxalis bindi. I think it's the way you use it. You have to be very careful. Um, you you know, know, I've there's,
2: got there's, a Kilkerry buffalo.
1: Yes. Yep. Yeah. Cross. Yep. Yeah. It's when when I did you? I do um, that. <laughs> sorry, Steve. When did you actually do it? Was there plenty of growth on the lawn and on the oxalis when you did it? I haven't
2: sprayed yet.
1: Ah, okay. Well, I would I would actually give it a try with the Bindye before you go uh, start using sulphate of ammonia around on the lawn because it is going to burn anything that it touches. Yes. Uh, so yeah, look, get some get some bin dye, give that a crack. Make sure there's plenty of growth on the lawn. Uh, make sure we're not going to have any rain uh, for you know two or three days afterwards. And uh, I'd, I'd give that a go. The other thing I would do with oxalis is use a wetting agent in there. You can just use a little bit of uh, a detergent if you want to. Yes, mate, yeah. Uh, to make it more sticky. Because the oxalis just has this particular thing. You see the the you know, water droplets form on it, then it beads and goes away. So important to do the oxalis now because once it flowers and you get those seed heads on there, uh, those seed heads just explode and go everywhere and the tap roots just take off. So uh, if you've got oxalis in your lawn, very important to get rid of it uh, and keep it under control.
6: Well, actually, when you mentioned the flower bit, mm-hmm. um, that was a month ago.
1: Okay, so you have actually had the seed heads, have you?
6: Yeah, like the little yellow...
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. um, definitely get out there uh, as soon as possible and give the Bindi a a crack and see if you can get it back under control.
6: Thank you very, very much, That's
1: all right. Not a problem at all, Steve.
6: Oh, thanks to
1: Judy. Uh, Okay, well, we'll uh, we'll get in contact with her and thank her as well. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Good on you, Steve. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: We've got Margaret now from Catherine Hill Bay and she's got
1: some issue with curl grubs. Hello, Catherine. How can we help you with them?
3: Oh, hello, Scott. It's Margaret here. Yes.
0: Margaret.
3: <laughs> How are you going? Yes, very well. Um, um, we've been in Catherine Hill Bay now 12 months, and not only us, but a lot of people are saying that there's just a massive amount of curl grubs uh, in our gardens. I know they're probably dormant at the moment, but I'm really concerned about when spring and summer comes back on again. Um, what we can do, I spent quite a lot of money on um, uh, this neem oil that I was told to use. Yes. But um, it just doesn't cover much of an area before you've got to buy another bottle. Oh, no,
1: it's only a small bottle as well, isn't it? Yes,
3: yes it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I'm not sure what we should do because I'm, you know, I don't want to have to spend more money on
4: plants just to watch them. Age in the
1: way yeah sure, Look, all, all I would say about curl grubs is they 're actually the uh, you know the, the pupa of our, our Christmas beetles and those sort of beetles yeah. that, that we get around for, for me, if they 're just in the soil and you 've got your normal planting there you know grevilleas, whatever you know sort of plants you 've got in your normal garden, they should be able to handle uh, you know the curl grub just doing a natural natural thing. Curl grubs are, are most damaging when they get into actual pot plants, now, because you have a very contained root system there. Uh, the root system needs to be drawing on only a, you know, oh. a certain amount of moisture that can get into the potting mix, and that's when they and they, you know, you just get this concentration of curl grubs in there eating away, and that's when they do their most damage. Generally, in the garden, uh, look, they they don't do, you know, they can do damage, but they don't do, you know, the immense amount of damage that you find when you have them in the pots. However, if you do want to try and control them, uh, you can use uh, carbaryl. Uh, it's It's a pretty sort of heavy sort of chemical to go out there and just, you know, hose down or, you know, water down into the soil in the hope that you're going to kill the curl grubs. Uh, Confidor also used to be registered uh, for it as well So the the hose-on version of Confidor, But again, sort of a a bit of a heavy chemical to go and use Because, you know, these these chemicals can be harmful to bees uh, You know, that we want to actually keep uh, in our uh, environment And doing all the right things that they do Uh, So I I would generally say, look, don't don't stress on it if you've got curl grubs in the garden. Your plants should be advanced and tough enough to put up with having those there. They've always been there. Uh, They're not a new thing that's come along and starting to attack plants, Um, but certainly if you have got them in pot plants, that's when you do need to uh, control with some sort of chemical. Yeah, it's it's
3: mainly in the garden. We have these blue uh, sort of tufty grass ornamental things all the way up the path. Yeah. And we started losing three or four. And when we actually sort of dug them up, there, my husband got about 17 off the first one. And, you know, there were just... Each one we pulled out, there were just masses of grubs.
1: Yeah. And, and, chat- and, and that's fine. So if, if you can identify that those grubs are actually in a certain area and doing damage to a certain plant then I I think, yes, you treat them, uh, you know, with some sort of chemical to keep them under control. But I I don't think that just, you know, watering it all throughout your garden is necessary. But if you can certainly identify a plant that they're having a crack at, uh, then get in there and try and get rid of them and keep them under control. Okay. And
4: diplodinas,
3: do they just... Lose their leaves in winter, yeah. or do they get attacked? No, that's oh, they what, do in winter.
1: yeah, they're semi deciduous here in the colder uh, climate. Uh, as you go further oh, north, okay. they're not, but down here, yes, look, they will start to lose some of their leaves. But I reckon in the next couple of weeks, you'll see new shoots coming on, so I wouldn't be too concerned about that.
3: Oh, great, thank you so much for all your
1: help. That's all right, Margaret, you have a nice afternoon. You
3: too, thank Thanks. you. Bye bye.
1: We got Jill now from East
0: Maitland, and she's got an update for us on her hibiscus.
1: Hello, Jill. Give us the update.
4: Uh, well, do you remember me um, um, speaking to you about moving this hibiscus just a few months ago? Now, yeah, no,
1: I certainly do. Certainly do.
4: Oh, good. Well, the one thing you said was don't fertilise it after yes. I'd moved it. Um, when I moved it, it didn't come out in a whole clump like it should have done because the soil was soft. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, you know, ended up bare-rooted, actually. Okay, yeah. um, but, uh, but it's 10 days now since I moved it, and um, it's uh, looking a bit droopy. Yes. And yesterday I gave it a little, little dose of um, seaweed solution. Yes. But um, is there anything else that I can do? I've okay. mulched it. I've done everything you told me to do
1: at the moment i would just keep the water up to it uh yes with the seaweed solution but only a very very weak mixture of it um don't overload the plant at the moment Uh, um and certainly no other fertilizers until you see you know like lots of good new growth on there and that growth hardening up um did you give it a light prune back as well
4: Oh yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, because so back up the bird,
1: I think. Yeah, very good. So look, it is going to look a bit droopy at first, but as long as you just keep the water up to it, because that's what it really needs. Uh, yeah. And then maybe in another couple of weeks, a very, very light seaweed solution to try and promote some more root growth. Okay,
3: wonderful. Thank you very much
4: that's for that. That's all right. Scott.
1: Now you give us a call back. It's like uh, going to the doctor and having an appointment <laughs> for two weeks' time. You give us a call back and tell us how it's going then.
4: I shall do that. And, Thank uh, you.
1: We like to hear success <laughs> stories on this show. <laughs>
4: Good. I hope
1: it is a success. It, it will be. It will be. We're, we're confident about that as well.
4: Okay. Thank you. Thanks,
1: Jill. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Well, we've got Bob now from at Cameron Park, and he's got something about oxalius and
1: its eradication. Oh, very good. Uh, a tip. Bob, how can you help us?
0: Did you say
6: oxalis is that winter grass?
1: No, we didn't No, No, no. Oxalis oh. is like a little clovery sort of light green plant uh, that goes through the lawn, gets a yellow flower, and then it forms this exploding seed head uh, on it, which uh, just spreads the seed everywhere.
6: I got told about a, a product called Javelin.
1: Ooh, okay. Is,
6: and I bought some of that, and I, yeah, I got rid of a lot of other weeds, but I had, I did have a, a great heap of. Um, winter grass growing. Yes. And a mate of mine told me to put uh, sulphate of ammonia on it. You should get the one that looks like salt.
1: Yes, that's correct. Which I did. Yep, yep.
6: And I I watered the the grass first and hit it with the the, uh, sulphate and then watered it again. And I've got a dying clumps of... um, winter grass
1: there everywhere. Yeah, very, very good. Yeah, winter grass is a difficult one to uh, sort of keep under control because it comes up um, and starts putting its seeds around before, you know, you have to almost poison it beforehand. So, yeah, the sulphate of ammonia trick on on winter grass is probably not a bad idea. And because it forms the little clumps, you can just go put a little sprinkle on that clump exactly. Uh, The trouble with oxalis is it spreads in underneath, uh, you know, the leaves of the turf. So it is difficult to use the the sulphate of ammonia on it.
6: Yeah, no, this this is what I... I wasn't sure what it was, but, yeah, that's what you were talking about.
1: Okay.
6: Yeah, but, no, the javelin gets rid of a lot of weeds.
1: Okay, that's great, a great tip.
6: It's it's expensive. Yes. Um, But I I bought one of them, um, Sylvan... Wheat sprayers, the battery-powered
1: one. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, great, great. And you
6: can get a, get a spray bar on and you can go and water the grass with that every, everywhere. It does it easy.
1: Okay, that's fantastic. Thank you for that, Bob. Thank you for the uh, the tip of the javelin. Yeah, okay. not a problem. Greg's Bye. not even going to respond to that, that nope. pun there. No, he's just leaving that one through to the keeper. <laughs> It was good, though.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Guarding talk back on, too, when you are at FM. And we've got to Helen from Stockton, and she wants to know when she should start preparing the lawn. Hello, Helen. How are you going?
3: I'm going well, and you?
1: Great. Now, how can we help you with your lawn?
3: Well, I have three Aussie bulldogs, and I haven't got a very big lawn. It's probably about – it's divided by a path. But, yeah, it's only probably five metres by six metres. Yep. So three bulldogs on it with all their droppings and urinating, It's a bit damaged. So is it too early to start preparing it?
1: Uh, Look, now, I I think after the weekend, and I know know, the weekend in parts was cold, but there was also that hint on the weekend of nice things happening and it started to get warmer. Uh, you know, especially on on Saturday morning, and like I said, I was sitting out in the sun yesterday, looking up into my robinias, and that I think that the light switch might have flicked, and, and we're starting to get towards that that springtime. So, mm-hmm. I reckon it might be time to start preparing the lawn for you. Uh, what do you want to do? Do you want to give it a light top dressing? Do you want to give it some fertilising? How much? Uh, how much? And do you want to well, do with shoes.
3: it? It's usually such a beautiful lawn, but I only had one dog. Then I got another dog, and now I've got three. So.
1: <laughs> well, my first tip, my first tip would be to take your dogs for a walk regularly and often uh, to keep yes. them off the lawn as long as possible.
3: Yeah, uh, so it's just the uh, browning marks from their urine mainly. So yeah. it's that.
1: Saveable? Look at that! That is absolutely savable. Uh, I, I think uh, for you, probably go and get a slow-release fertilizer to fertilise the lawn with to give it that nice green, uh, you know, leafy growth. Uh, the other thing to do is once you know, um, you know, pooch the three pooches have gone out there um, and done their business, to get out there and try and you know give it a quick hose down as well, just to oh, try okay. and dilute it and get it tr- back through the soil. Uh, so look, always very important to do that. Even if you just went out, sort of, you know, morning, you know, and dusk, and gave it a quick hose over. Hey, it's oh, gonna okay. it's gonna water the lawn, and in Stockton, we know how sandy it is. Yes, and it's also just going to sort of wash that away and okay. uh, try and you know stop that burning process of the urea. Yep.
3: So just I can give it a light topsoil because they like to scratch at it as well because that's what dogs do. Yeah. So just a light topsoil and a slow release fertiliser. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Only a very light topsoil at the uh, top dress at the moment and uh, some of the slow release fertiliser. I think it's the best to use uh, and just plenty of water and uh, hopefully Bob's your uncle over there.
3: Awesome. Okay. Okay. Thank you for your advice.
1: Okay. Thank you very
0: much, Helen. Not a problem. Bye.
3: -bye. Yep. Thank you. Bye.
0: Cheers, thanks, Alan. Guarding talk back on when you are at FM. Scott Sharp. We're almost out of time for another week, but you start the hour off talking about crepe, 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 crepe myrtle,
1: crepe, crepe myrtles. What you, is? I, I always love I love my crepes. I'm a pancake, any sort of variety of. Yeah, you sort of started as soon as you said that. I'm trying to talk about plants, and you've made my mouth water. Thinking of these little thin bits of. Pancakes. Yes, with cream and other stuff all over there. But look, enough of that. Crepe myrtles are, at the moment, completely bare, but it's uh, time to prune them. Okay. Yeah, because they're going to start uh, getting their green leaves on them again. Now, the the reason I mentioned the crepe myrtle is because they have this really beautiful bark. Uh, it's all very patterned and it gets quite, you know, the trunks get quite large on them with these beautiful, almost watered patterns on them. And when they get wet, it's even more spectacular, the patterns that you get there. Now, what people do with crate myrtles, though, is they prune them very heavily. Uh, and you get these things called knuckles on there where you prune. Yep. Yeah, but I know you're thinking about the old five-fingered sandwich there sort of thing, but no, it's completely different. I'm not, I'm not rocky here today. <laughs> Uh, So when you prune them, yes, they do get these weird sort of knuckles, but out of there you get the nice branches and then the flowers coming out of that. So uh, and I I guess over time they do get quite gnarly and some people would say unattractive, but what it does is it helps thicken up the the trunk and get that really nice patterning on the trunk. If you don't want to uh, prune back your crepe myrtles heavily, Uh, You don't have to. You can just let the plant sort of off it goes. They can get quite tall, three metres or so, uh, four metres with some of them. Uh, And they do make a very nice uh, sort of street tree as well. I know over in Georgetown, uh, a couple of streets over there, very nice crepe myrtles all up and down. I believe the council have planted over time. And those trees are getting quite large now. No pruning occurs to them, but uh, you know you still get a beautiful flowering off them. So uh, yeah, look, if, if you need to, you just go very heavily, but you need to do it in the next couple of weeks if you're going to prune your crepe myrtle back down to the knuckles. Right, crepe myrtle or crepe? Crepe myrtle. myrtle
0: my mouth's still watering. Well, it's nearly lunchtime now, so you can go and duck off. Now no, my tummy's rumbling.
1: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health